This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going well, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, th- don't jump on me. Don't jump on me. I'm doing I'm doing very well. Is that better? Yeah, that's good. Yes. No, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, had a wonderful, relaxing Thanksgiving. Uh, we just moved into awesome. our new place, so we were unpacking, getting things ready, uh, and then just kind of had a nice little Thanksgiving. Awesome. So that was good. Uh Moving, uh, you know, moving things around here at the Pulse and, and taking on some new responsibilities, starting to get into that flow. So it's been a it's been a really interesting, unique time in my life this year. <laughs> uh, so much of 2020 felt so stagnant and weird, and now right here at the end, everything is moving very quickly. So uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks for me. How are yeah, you doing? I I'm doing great. You know, just humming along, waiting for vaccines to come and return to normal, and actually make plans more than a week. At a time. Right. That is that is some good news that we haven't, you know, really talked about here at the local level. I don't know why we necessarily would spend a ton of time on it. But yeah, there's interesting news coming out about the Pfizer vaccine. Hopefully that will be delivered uh, to certain states here this week. And, and maybe we'll start seeing some movement on that by the end of the year. Uh, yeah. Means that potentially we could be looking at March, April, May, June, kind of that zone for some some wide distribution. So and potentially for healthcare workers, um, and long-term care workers like end of December, early January. And when you talk about the the toll of COVID and the death toll, that that takes care of a, a large chunk of that if, if the people in those two categories can feel safe. That doesn't wipe it out. That doesn't mean you stop wearing masks and stop doing safe things, but it does, it eases the burden on a lot of people because it's not just those people, it's the families around them who are so scared to give it to those people. Right. Well, and it's such a weird time right now because on one hand, you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief as these vaccines are coming very soon. But on the other hand, we are jumping into what is looking to be the the worst section of this so far. Yeah. So with, with cases rising, especially around holiday gatherings and that sort of stuff right now, we're kind of locked into this, you know, what's going to happen phase. But we're it, it feels like we're just kind of on, on the edge of the cliff right now where things are you can see the end in sight, but it's still, we have a lot, a long way to go right now to get to that point. Yeah. I think for myself, for the first time, I'm I'm starting to go like, oh yeah, there's a time when we, where it's not like this again. And like, I, I start thinking about people being back in this office again one day and, um, all of those things that I've pretty much just blacked out in your, in trying to do this job and report on this thing and, and live your life and stay safe day to day. So it is nice to start thinking about a, a light at the end of the tunnel. On the flip side, um, you also have to realize, okay, that doesn't mean it's tomorrow. That's still, you know, if you think back to March, you know, we were thinking, oh, maybe we shut down for a couple of weeks, we get out of this and, you know, things, we tamp this down and it's not that big a concern by summer. And we, that seemed daunting, right? Now we're still thinking, hey, vaccine, maybe three to four, five months away. That's that's still a long time. So we got to be prepared as the community to to do the right things to, to then because you don't want to lose anyone at this point. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is coming soon, but it, it's too early to get relaxed in this, especially, like I said, as we're entering this, this more scary period of it right now. The other thing, too, and we'll probably talk about this a couple months down the line when we get closer to it, but there, I feel like that reopening window, that like getting back to normal window is going to be uh, very vague. It's going to be lots of shades of gray for a long time because the back to normal doesn't happen the second you get vaccinated, right? You don't go like, okay, now I'm back to it, can take my mask off, go back to the store. I'm good. It's not going to be like that. There's going to be quite a long period where, you know, things are getting rolled out, you know, even after the majority of the population is vaccinated, there will still be some, some gray area of like, okay, are we good? Are we past this? Are the cases down enough? It, it, it's, it's more complicated than at, an, than at an individual level. And there's going to be a lot of messaging, a lot of confusion about the vaccine. There's going to be people who, who don't get it, who have all sorts of questions about like, well, I'm not going to get it, but how do I know who else got it? So I'm safe. And right. so there's going to be a lot of that sort of action. Um, I was talking to a group of business leaders and community leaders yesterday. And one of the things was just like, all right, what do we, what do we figure out? What doesn't go back to normal? Like, you know, things like outdoor dining. I mean, people aren't going to suddenly be like, we have a vaccine. I don't want to enjoy these great outdoor dining environments anymore. Right. So you're still going to have that, which means like that's going to stay. And municipalities have to think about that because they did a lot of relaxing of enforcement and rules this year. And long term, like they should be thinking about like, wait, that was actually pretty good. Like we actually have to rethink this instead of just going back to con- confining everybody. Right. Um, and people won't be immediately. Everyone won't be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally cool with everything being normal again. There's still going to be a lot of people kind of on edge about doing a lot of things we used to do. So, Right. Well, and even think about, like, procedures that were implemented for safety concerns, like curbside pickup and that, like, contactless pickup. Those types of things are actually really wonderful for accessibility reasons as well. So, uh, I mean, the vast majority of places that implemented things like that will probably want to think about continuing to do that when they're able to just yep. because of the the doors it opens for people with accessibility needs. Yeah. Well, accessibility and plus, I mean, just convenience. I mean, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I like pulling up and having the guy bring it to my door. I mean, maybe not every restaurant is going to keep doing that forever, but, um, it's a pretty nice service. And, and maybe in some cases I'd pay a premium for that. Right. Um, so it's, there's a lot of different things for business to think about. Um, more immediately, um, everyone's just got to continue to take the right measures. We've seen a dip even before Thanksgiving. We had kind of a high of like 270 cases in a week in Door County. We, we had a stretch there where we were going 200 cases, then 240, then 270. It's come back down into the like 170 range right before Thanksgiving in the previous seven days. And then the numbers dropped. In fact, a couple of days ago, we only reported four new cases, which is the lowest I've seen in weeks. But that also might be an indication that people just weren't going to get tested last week during the Thanksgiving holiday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, people, a lot of people traveled. A lot of people just weren't going to go and get a test. So those, it's hard to say like how much stock do you put in those numbers? Um, I know on Monday they had a much lower number of people get tested at the community uh, testing site in Sister Bay. I think they had 130 and previous weeks they've been over 200. But that might also just be people being on the road or maybe not wanting to get tested right after Thanksgiving to and, and be seen as like I was the person who broke the rules on Thanksgiving and now I got it. So there might be a lot of different reasons for that. Or hopefully maybe just a lot of people are getting smarter and heeding the hospital's warnings. That was going to be my thing. I, I I would hope that the the dip in cases would come following some of those like strongly worded messages coming from the mayor and 
Door County Medical Center CEO and all of that kind of stuff last week or two weeks ago at this point. That was really just urging people to double down their efforts to try to slow this spread because the hospitals were, were really, really jammed. And I do think that the the hospitals, I mean, and you've I've read article after article of people just being like, I can't believe we're doing all this work and people are, like are still just not taking basic precautions, still refusing to wear masks or still gathering indoors when they when, you know, doctors and nurses leaving a shift of watching people die and then driving by people just not they, they, it, the doctors I've spoken to just say like it just hits us as a huge slap in the face and a sign right. of disrespect. But I do think when they started making that call here locally, like when local medical leaders started coming out and saying that, like Brian Stevens at Door County Medical Center, I think that hits people different than the county board and local political leaders or even the governor. I think that, you know, the closer to home it gets, the the more people take it seriously. Right. Anything else COVID related for this week before we jump back in? Of course, we are going to see numbers go up, presumably, because of Thanksgiving, but we won't see any of that for another couple of days at the earliest. Uh, But by this time next week, we'll probably have a good indication of if we get another big surge or not from the holidays. Um, I I think it's probably safe to assume that there will be a bump in cases. Hopefully, it's kind of more along the lines of the normal numbers that we've been seeing so far, maybe continuing that downward trend. But again, we won't really see that stuff until next week. So we'll we'll check back in then. But is there anything else for people this week before we head on to some news? No, I think that's a, a pretty good wrap on it um, as people head inside. I mean, now it's we've actually been kind of blessed with a somewhat mild fall, I'd say. But as it gets colder and colder, you're going to see people more likely to gather inside. Um, I would say from everything I've read and all the people I've talked to in medical profession, and um, I would really urge people to get good campfires going and, and try to hang out and, and stay outside. And I've done a lot of that recently. It's actually been pretty nice. Get a blanket, sit around a fire if you're going to hang out with your friends. Um, because I know that a lot of businesses, a lot of people are still focused on surfaces and um, Lysol and wiping down groceries. And that's really the wrong place to put your efforts in this. Like those aren't necessarily bad things to do. I mean, I wouldn't worry about wiping down my groceries, but like it's ventilation for, and it's, it's time in close contact in closed spaces without good ventilation. So having windows open, being outside is a huge mitigator um, from all the evidence that's out there. Right. So with that, why don't we jump into some news? We'll spend some time up in Sister Bay and make our way down the county, as I like to do geographically with the news. Uh, Why don't we start with... uh Dave Lenow up in Sister Bay. The Sister Bay Village President Dave Lenow stepped down recently uh, as he was looking at another opportunity. Tell me about this, Miles. Well, Dave Lenow called me on uh, last Tuesday night and said he had breaking news that he was stepping down from the uh, position as Village President in Sister Bay. Is that how most of the breaking news comes in? Somebody calls you and says, breaking news, Miles. Guess what? I'm doing this. I mean, not a ton of that. They might not always say breaking news, but like there are some... There are some communities where the the leadership is good about calling even when it's bad news um, and trying to get out in front of it, which is part PR spin and part, I'd say, probably just smart. Um, there's several people in Sister Bay that I, I would say are probably pretty good at that, where they're like, well, okay, we got this thing. People are going to be up in arms about this. Um, you should probably know about this and put something in the paper. We want people to show up and tell us what they think. Right. There are other communities that just try to p- keep things under wraps. And then it blows up in their face. Sure. So. In in all of your time doing this, how many times have you heard the words stop the presses? <laughs> well, I mean, we don't have the press in our office, so we don't have to do it. I mean, we'll we'll say that once in a while, but like 
It, it's not an issue for us at the weekly. <laughs> right. Okay. Sidebar over. Tell me about Dave. Okay. So Dave Lee now calls and he says um, that he's resigning. And the, the reason he resigned is to take a different position within the village, which then brings in some legal questions. So the village was looking for a new marina manager. Dave Lenow had worked part-time at the dock in Alibi Dock in Fish Creek the previous summer, really enjoyed it. Um, and he was like, you know, I think I really like that job. And he's semi-retired at this point. He's the county board chairman, a position that he is staying in. So just to alleviate any confusion there, he will remain as the county board chairman. This is specific to Sister Bay Village, totally separate. Um, but a few years ago, his wife, Carol, died. Um, he sold his gas station business just, uh, I think, last year and said he was kind of reevaluating where he was spending his time and what he wanted to do. And when that marina position came up, he said, you know, that that would be a good job for me. I think I would really enjoy that. You're outside more, um, plays to a lot of his organizational skills and things like that. But to do that, you have to re- you can't be on the, the village board and then be the employee, too. So he had to he consulted with Randy Nesbitt, uh, who specializes in municipal law. And asked, hey, can I apply for that? What 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 do I have to do with this? What ethically is the way to do it? And he said, anybody can apply for the job. It's just that you would have to resign from the board because you can't then hire yourself, sort of. So he resigns. He interviews. There's four other people who, who interview for the position. The village picks him. And so he resigns from the village board and um, they have to replace him. Well, it, it's good that they that they did accept him at the marina because it would have been a bummer if he stepped down and then didn't get the new job. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so who who is his replacement over there now? Okay, so then uh, the next week they and this was this previous Tuesday, uh, the Sister Bay Village Ward meets. They um, J- Town of Gibraltar had to go through this last year when Dick Scarry resigned, kind of in the middle of his term. And what you do is you have to select someone to fill out that. Um, the remainder of that term. You don't have to, actually. You can leave it empty, but it leaves... It makes it really hard for the village to do its business. You know, in Sister Bay, they have an administrator, Bo Bernhoft, and the village president has to sign all sorts of documents over the course of time or contracts and things like that. In this case, you'd then have to go and do it by consensus, I think, of the village board, which is unwieldy. So... They unanimously selected Denise Berto to fill out the remainder of Dave Lenow's term. Denise accepted that. She said she does not intend to run for the position in April. She would probably run for her old trustee position, but um, does not want to run again as village president. But given that she had she's been president before, she's the longest tenured member of the Sister Bay Village Board. Um, 22 out of the last 25 years she's been on that board. So a lot of experience, knows how the job is done. It's not a big training thing for her to take over that position is basically what the, the board was aimed at. So right. remains to be seen. People can now turn in nomination papers to run for local offices. So it's open and they are seeking nominations for someone to fill Denise's chair for the next three and a half, four months. Right. So that's, that's one of the interesting things when you hire from the inside, you always have to keep refilling those positions. Yeah. But, uh, she, she seems like a great pick for this. As you said, lots of experience there. Um, just, a kind of a side question. Uh, Dave Lee now was the village chair for six years, right? Uh, since 20, yeah, I think seven years. Okay. Seven. Now is that, that's right around the time that Sister Bay did their big redevelopment project, their big transformation, so to say, uh, is that a coincidence or was that something that Dave was instrumental in? Um, I would say he was a part of it. And I think he would say that too. I don't, I don't think he would say like, um, he, he was a, the, the lone man or anything like that. He got on the board in 2006 and I think we've talked about this before, but, um, to refresh people's memories in 2006, seven, eight, partially as a result of 
the recession at the time and partially just the way things were going in Sister Bay, um, you had a lot of major businesses on that downtown stretch that were either in foreclosure or up for sale. So if you go down, what's now on deck was empty for a whole year at one point. Husby's at one point was in foreclosure talks uh, and some of the properties around there, what is now the boathouse, what now is Door County Creamery. A lot of different businesses were in pretty rough shape. And Sister Bay was struggling to figure out, like, well, how do we how do we attract investment? How do we? Oh, I didn't even mention that the place that is now the Hotel Door and Chop was a big empty building, right. an old warehouse that had closed down for one set of development plans that never came to fruition. So it's just sat empty for years. So you have this place in the middle of this major tourist attraction, the largest community north of Sturgeon Bay, and just struggling to find an identity. Helms Four Seasons comes up for sale in 2007. It's going to be sold off for condos. And if people don't remember, what you now know is Waterfront Park was a private hotel property. So that goes up for sale. And there were condo developments proposed to the village. And then the owner, Terry Zilke, says to the village, would you guys want to just buy it? And the village says yes for $5.5 million, a huge chunk to bite off. And that launched like a whole new session of uh, a whole new era of Sister Bay trying to recreate what it is. Right. So the the waterfront community that it we know it as now really started in 2007. Right. So thank you for recapping that story. I know that we've talked about it a lot, but it's always good to kind of hear that, that progression of things as well. Um, so yeah, kind of the... I don't know, at the end of an era, so to say, as we're as we're looking forward to the next big steps for Sister Bay with Dave stepping down. Uh, but interesting to look ahead and see what is what's coming up next. Yeah, I mean, it's, especially as you, you put that in a, like simplest terms is 2006, 2007, 2008, the question um, in Sister Bay was, how do we get people to invest? How do we draw visitors to Sister Bay? Desperate. How do we get more like Fish Creek? How do we <laughs> do those things? And then now the question is, how do we control visitors? How do we control development and not let it overrun us? So it's just, it is a complete 180 from where they were at that time. Does that all reflect on Dave Lena? I would say yes or no in that like he was a part of it for sure. Um, and he was the village president and, and steward of that for the last seven years. But it, there's so many, we could do 10 podcasts on all the little things that led into that and all the different people who made contributions that made a big difference here and there in the village of Sister Bay. Um, but he was he was there for the, it's one of those rare times where you have someone kind of for that whole perspective of it, which is, it's pretty interesting to talk to him. Maybe we'll have him on the podcast to to do that at some point. Um, Denise Berto is another one who was there for much of that entire progression. So it's kind of a natural transition for her to take over, at least in the short term. Um, but there is another piece of interesting Sister Bay news. Stop the presses, Miles. Breaking news. <laughs> there you go. We got to use it. <laughs> yeah, we did. So Sister Bay announced today that they are making some moves to purchase some new land, correct? Yes. So the village of Sister Bay, um, there is some property actually just outside of the village that is known as the Wiltsey property property to locals. Um, uh, the, the Wiltsey family had a, a farm on the corner of Woodcrest and Maple Drive that extends for I think at, at its total property was something like 75 acres and portions of that have been sold off. The village has reached an agreement to purchase 55 of those acres from the Wilsey family for $425,000. Um, that all, much of this land abuts the village's water treatment plant property and the sports complex. And what they, what Denise Berto told me in her <laughs> first move, she's like, this is great. My first I'm, I'm now I'm president and now like this comes to a head right now. Right. Um, but 
they they look at it as a possibility for um, moving the administration building and the parks department out to that property and also as future um, land for potential expansion of the wastewater treatment facility. The administrative offices are kind of right down behind Husby's in a very small cramped building, kind right. of makeshift offices there. And then the parks department is now kind of right behind the hotel door in the old fire station, which is maybe not a great use of downtown property to just have like a parks department warehouse. I'm sure. So what they may use that to like is potential more parking expansion in downtown. Um, they could sell that off, could could bring in more real estate taxes, who knows, but it gives them some options. Um, it's a lot of land. They're not sure if they're going to keep all of those 55 acres, um, but they'll have to be, look at like what, what they might want to do with the sports complex. And I had nothing to do with them buying this land, but it does come pretty close to my house. So I'm, I, I hope I still have my like orchard trail to downtown Sister Bay is what I'm crossing my fingers for. Right. Well, I, I hope that you get to keep that as well, if not for your sake, but for your beautiful dog's sake. Yes. So. <laughs> Willa will be quite pleased. Right. So with that, Miles, why don't we uh, move down the road a little bit to Gibraltar? Uh, they just had their budget meeting on Monday night. Wasn't an eventful meeting? Tell me what happened there. Uh, it was a kind of an odd meeting just based on circumstances. Um, Gibraltar meetings are a little frustrating in general. In normal times, they just tend to, they don't have an administrator or a town manager. So they they have very long, very detailed meetings about like every little aspect in the town. So they, they can be unwieldy. And then in this case, they were having their town budget meeting and their, their annual budget meeting, but they have to do it by a combination of Zoom and in-person which a lot of places have done over the last several months, but Gibraltar has not done that. And the the reason they had to for this is because when it the way Wisconsin law works, a township, the you actually approve the budget by a vote of town electors. And you do it in person at the annual meeting. It's very old school democracy. I've been to one um, meeting like that in the town of Liberty Grove once that brought in like four or 500 people. They had to do it in the 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 highway department bays. Um, it was kind of a cool, when, when those things happen, it's, it's a very cool thing to see like, oh, this is, this is old school, one man, one vote democracy. Right. Like put democracy it on a- Democracy in action. Put it on a little piece of torn up paper and you say yes or no. <laughs> right. Um, and then, but with COVID and with cases spiking, you can't ask at a budget meeting, you know, hundreds of people to come in. And some of these right. meetings have two people, you know, sometimes not many people show up at all. But in this case, Gibraltar was looking at increasing their budget by 13%. Um, they had to get the voters to approve them exceeding the le- the state imposed levy limit by twenty percent. So more people want to be involved, but a lot of these people don't want to be down there in the what's a pretty small community center, and it's not like they have a big auditorium there. So they do it by a combination of Zoom and in person, and then they have when it comes time to vote, people who are on Zoom are told, okay, now is the time to drive down to the town hall and come inside, and we'll. We'll space you out and you can come in and vote and then you can leave without having to be there. But they were trying to do some combination way to get people like to feel safe and still be able to vote. <laughs> that that to me sounds so strange to be like, OK, well, we'll get you in for the meeting. But then when you actually have to vote, you have to come in. That seems weird to me. Why couldn't you just take the vote there over Zoom like normal? Well, because it has to be anonymous. So ah. you can't just do like do it in a chat box and then have it open to the general public. So the county board will do votes. They have a way of doing votes through a um, a WebEx meeting. But 
it, at the county board, it doesn't matter if they're anonymous in, in making that vote. They are public officials. Right. But in this case, it's more like a quasi-election sort of thing. Sure. There wasn't like an option of like, everybody private message me your vote or yeah. shoot me a text. Well, and also you have to make sure they're a resident of the town. Like I'm in on that meeting. I'm watching it via Zoom to report on it, but I'm not a town resident. So somebody could just pull in tons of residents or of different communities and stack the vote if you were doing it by Zoom. When you come in in person, um, they do have ways of, you know, the clerk might just know that you don't live there and be like, hey, where do you, what's your address? Um, some people, they won't. So maybe they have to double check or verify those sorts of things. So there's, that's how you, you you've got to be a resident of the town of Gibraltar. Interesting. What else happens at the meeting of note? Well, Gibraltar, like I said, they're, they're going for a significant uh, budget increase. They, as I wrote in an article last week in the Pulse, they made the decision to pave a couple of extra miles of road this year, Peninsula Players Road and Gibraltar Gibraltar Road. Normally, they wouldn't have paved them all this year, but they said they got a big price discount because they were doing the highway department and Northeast Asphalt already had their equipment in Northern Door. So they could save $140,000 by doing it this year versus down the road, because then they'd have to kind of remobilize all their equipment um, when they did it down the road. But that meant that Gibraltar was spending double what they had budgeted on roads this year. So they've shifted that to pay for it next year. Now, at the meeting, some people asked some pertinent questions like, well, if you just if you just moved your road work up one year, shouldn't that cancel out next year? And you just don't do that road work the next year? Right. It's a valid question. The board said, well, we're taking this opportunity to get ahead on road work because like every other town, budgets are getting tight. They have about 50 miles of road to pave or to maintain in the the town of Gibraltar, which means if a road has a 20 to 25 year lifespan, which is kind of the, the working assumption, you try to do a mile of road or two miles of road every year to stay up. And right now they're not doing that. So they're saying this gets us back ahead. But it's a good question of like, okay, you do that this year, just don't do one next year. There's other things that came up. The town has budgeted $71,000 to look at hiring an administrator next year, which they wouldn't have that for the full year. So that $71,000 does not cover a whole year. But as you might guess, based on my words earlier, I think that would be a very good move for that town. Right. I don't think you'd need them for the whole year because by all the time that you'd be saving with an administrator, you could get all the meetings done much quicker. <laughs> Just yeah. load them all up into the time that the administrator is there and you're good to go. Right. Um, and so there was... There was also some interesting things in the meeting when people were asking, hey, can you break this down by um, my cost per $100,000 of property value? A pretty typical way of breaking down a tax increase, whether it be a, a school, a county, or municipal, or a village or, or township. And then it took about 15 minutes for the town to figure out what that dollar figure was, which kind of surprised me that they didn't, didn't have that ready to go when they ro rolled in. And a lot of miscommunication around that issue. Ultimately, the town voters agreed to the budget increase by a vote of 24 to 17, which is actually quite close. I think that might have been a lot, you might have had a lot more participants in that vote if in a normal time when people felt comfortable coming in person. I think there were 30 to 40 people on the Zoom call. So not all of them took the time to drive down and actually participate in the vote. But it was, you know, another interesting look at how small town villages and, and municipalities operate. And, you know, the Compare and contrast between attending that meeting one day in, in the town of Gibraltar where they, they did struggle to get the technology working and, and do the combination and have, 
have good audio. <laughs> I personally couldn't hear maybe at least a third of the, the speaking going on <laughs> at the meeting, especially for the people in person in the town hall. They didn't have mics. So if you were watching on Zoom, you basically could barely hear anything that they were saying. And people talk over each other a lot at the, the Gibraltar meetings. Then the next day, going to the Sister Bay meeting, which is generally... They've been working with, they transitioned to Zoom meetings really quickly and kind of have like a cleaner setup for their meetings. Things run a little more smoothly. I don't know if that's because of their committee setup or just um, they don't seem to waste a lot of time on tangents. And they have an administrator, so that administrator comes with a lot of the information that they need instead of having the board members trying to figure it out at the meeting. So that just uh, it's a good contrast in how different communities operate. Right. So the the budget portion of it seemed to be a, a majority of it, but it wasn't the only thing that was discussed there too. There were some special assessments that are coming up as well, correct? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned that because as part of their highway project, when this year Fish Creek finally finished repaving and reconstructing the highway from kind of the bottom of the Fish Creek Hill all the way up through to the YMCA, right, which goes past the school and past the state park, but as part of that, Gibraltar did what some other communities have done is you try to couple that major project with other work, whether it's storm sewer, lighting, sidewalks. Ephraim did this. The village of Sister Bay did this about seven, eight years ago when they had their highway redone. And Egg Harbor is looking to do that in a couple of years when they get Highway 42 redone through their town. It's a good way to, to cram all the disruption into one time versus right. trying to do it over 10 years and you just have all these little pockets and you tear everything up again. But the... The town really didn't plan too well for how to pay for those sidewalks and, and the timeline for all of those things. So what they're going to do is a special assessment um, for the sidewalks and the streetlights. The expenses for those ended up being about 30% higher than the town expected as of two years ago. And it's going to come to about $1.3 million for lights and sidewalks. In, Sturgeon, or in Sister Bay and Ephraim, those communities decided to just wrap that all into the total bond for the project and spread it across all the taxpayers in the village because they looked at it as, hey, this is our downtown core. This is the heart of who we are as a community. We all use this. We all frequent these businesses. We all use the beach. We should all pay for it. It's right. a benefit to everyone. And that that seems to be the way that that all, from my perspective, that I thought all projects were funded was you just spread it out evenly among the entire tax base. Well, in most cases they are. When people do roads, um, that's how it is. It's not just the people out on, uh, like my my father lives on Heritage Lake Road and the boonies in Egg Harbor. If they redid that road and when the county repaves that and the town decides to redo that stretch of road, it's not just assessed to the people who live there because a lot of different people use that, right? Right. Um, what Fish Creek has decided to do, what Town of Gibraltar decided to do, was assess only the people who own property along that stretch where they did the sidewalks and streetlights. And they assess, they decided to do it by your highway frontage. 50% is based on your highway frontage. 50% is based on your property value. Well, you take a place like Half Mile Bridge, which has a small connection to the highway, but all of the homes are back off of the highway. And it's a condo development. Fish Creek condo is similar, similar situation where they have maybe a driveway or a sidewalk entrance. But then just by having that maybe 10 feet, that triggers that their whole property value gets assessed for this project. So Half right. Mile Bridge is looking at $150,000 for their you know, 10, 15 foot stretch of frontage. Same thing with Fish Creek condominiums. It also means that Gibraltar School is looking at well over $100,000 in special assessments for it. And because they own that whole stretch around the hill, it's, a, you know, they're a big property. And then Peninsula School of Art, a nonprofit, in a year that nonprofits have 
struggled mightily is getting hit with about $30,000. So the, the flip side of this is Fish Creek hasn't had like an ongoing conversation with these property owners about this. And many of the ones I spoke to had no idea this was coming, or maybe they said, yeah, I heard they were talking about assessments for this, but I had no idea how much. And now it's just coming out. Right. <laughs> it was, uh, there was many people upset about this that I've spoken to, but there was one particular gentleman who said at the meeting, because he asked the question, how do you, what is your criterion for this is a project that everyone pays for versus this is a project that only certain people pay for? And the town struggled to answer that for a while. They were saying that this was not a meeting to talk about assessments. This is to talk about budgets. This man, his name is Cal Burton. He, he countered, he said, well, the reason your budget is able to be lower is because you're doing this by special assessment. If you wrap this into this budget, then this increase would be a lot lower. So this is really part of this budget discussion. They, sure. they didn't agree with that, but it's a good point. Um, just by putting costs somewhere else doesn't mean that it's not part of like this whole, because a lot of these property owners are, yeah, I'm, I'm voting for this increase, but I also in my head should know that I'm also going to get hit with this thing next year too. So do, do I want that increase and that assessment? <laughs> so it's a, it's, it is, I thought, a, a valid question. And what Bill Johnson, the town supervisor said was, well, we assess everybody when it's for when it's for the good of the town. And what this gentleman, Cal Burton, said was, well, so when you pave Maple Grove Road out in the outskirts of town where there's only a few property owners, that's for the good of the town. But by doing sidewalks in the downtown core where all of our visitors go and where so much of our value is generated and where our beaches are and where everyone goes to, out to eat and use services and, and use the bank, that's... And where your own town hall is, where we're holding this meeting is on Highway 42, said that that's not for the common good. And that was kind of met with silence. That's a pretty, it's a tough argument to make that, right. that your downtown core is not part of the common good, but that roads somewhere else are. Interesting. So I guess my question is, it, where does this go next? Obviously, you're going to have, you know, organizations and business owners along that area that are going to be pretty upset about this. Where do they where do they go from here? How do they find that money? Or, or is there more to be? Is there more discussion to be had? Well, Gibraltar's plan is to do it by special assessment. So they said that they will meet in February or March and have a meeting about those assessments. They said the the final numbers are or the numbers aren't final, but they did um, release and we posted it to our website. There are preliminary numbers on that because uh, people need to know at, as soon as possible when they need to start budgeting to potentially pay thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars um, or much more. A lot of businesses are getting looking at like anywhere from fifteen hundred to five thousand dollars, which you know coming on the backs of this year is not going to be an easy place to find that money. Right. They will. Sounds like the town will do some sort of financing for that. So maybe they might have five years to pay it or 10 years to pay it. Um, but then you'd pay interest on it too. So it's going to be interesting what they finally settle on. But to me, it was just kind of an interesting decision to make, given that you had the example of other communities that wrapped it all together. And both Sister Bay and Ephraim seem pretty happy with the result of that. I've actually never heard anyone raise an issue about that so interesting well with that miles as we're, we're approaching the end here is there anything else from this meeting or anything else from the week that you want people to know before we wrap up i think that covers it pretty well 
yeah, an interesting week to to say the least. Uh, lots of uh, kind of inner workings at the town board level, but I, I think that we're finding that there's some really juicy stories in there, uh, even though you might not think it from the get go. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this is all stuff that is minutia that honestly, when I first started reporting, I never thought I'd I'd find this interesting at all. I, you know, I like writing sports and features. Um, right. I'd still rather write <laughs> sports and features, but it is interesting to try and flesh out how these different communities make decisions and what the ramifications are, how they communicate with their citizens or or don't communicate with them, um, and how that affects how they operate. And that's the nice thing about working on a, a small paper with all these different communities is you can see the differences. Um, many times, Deb and I and, and Dave will sit here and go, gosh, I wish they would just, can they talk to each other? <laughs> like, because... There's redundant efforts at different things. But um, I guess one thing that's come of note here is people are starting to see what what's happening with their budgets and kind of the loggerheads they're coming to between the levy limits that are placed on municipalities and then the impact of COVID. There are a lot of towns looking at where they need to trim their budgets or find new sources of revenue. And I think in, in future episodes, we'll probably start talking about how room tax might come into that conversation as well. Right. I think that that's a a great teaser to leave us off on. I don't know when we'll get to that episode, but one day. It's coming. One day we will talk about it. Uh, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting with you again next week. All right. Thanks, Andy. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.